from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Can peanut butter get any tastier? Well, one robot is helping lead scientists to answers as USCA forecasters turn their attention to spring planning predictions. These carryover numbers are starting to snowball. And a big announcement ahead of planting from EPA regarding dicamba. But it's, it's gonna give guys that added option and added flexibility to control weeds. We have a lot to get to this morning, right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clint Griffiths. Many farmers breathing a sigh of relief today. It comes after the EPA announced it will allow producers to use existing dicamba stalks. Now you'll remember earlier this month, an Arizona court vacated the approval of three products used over the top of dicamba resistant cotton and soybeans in 34 states. Now the court saying EPA didn't follow procedures and failed to assess risks and costs for non-users of dicamba. Now an EPA order authorizes limited sales and distribution of existing stocks that are already in possession of people other than the registrant. Now this applies to stocks of previously registered pesticide products Ingenia, Tavium, and Extendamax that were currently in the U.S. prior to February 6th. When that news broke last week, that kind of added a lot of uh, stress to the system, especially being closer to spring now and a lot of decisions are made. Uh, but it's, it's going to give guys that added option and added flexibility to control weeds. The American Soybean Association and the American Farm Bureau Federation applauding EPA's decision. AFBF President Zippy Duval saying in a statement, quote, We are grateful to EPA for hearing farmers and ranchers' concerns and addressing them quickly to ensure that we have access to the critical tools needed to protect our crops this season. Without EPA stepping in, farmers and ranchers across the country were facing uncertainty and financial risk, end quote. Our other big story, USDA announcing its spring planting forecast at the 100th Annual Ag Outlook Forum. Now, the agency predicting farmers will plant 91 million acres of corn. That's down more than 3.5 million from last year and 87.5 million acres of soybeans up nearly 4 million acres from a year ago and 47 million acres of wheat down 2.6 million from last year. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us and Michelle carryover is key in this outlook. Yeah, that's exactly right, Clinton. Regardless of USDA's predicted shifts in acreage, the bottom line here is the agency also increased yield projections for all of the major principal crops and added that on top of this year's growing supplies. The end result is bigger inning stocks in nearly every category. USDA's baseline projections start with an acreage shift as USDA expects farmers to respond to market signals. Acreage is dependent on weather and when farmers can get into the field this spring, though, says Chief Economist Seth Meyer. But kind of from our headline picture here, you're talking about maybe that prices support soybeans a little bit more than corn, so maybe we move a little bit of area back into soybeans. That sorghum area is largely unchanged. Wheat, after responding to the global demand for wheat because of action in the Black Sea, farmers saying, okay, we'll move out of wheat, we responded. Cotton being perhaps one of the areas where we see a little bit of area growth, and certainly if weather is normal, 
some big rebounds in production. And Meyer says with the resiliency crops displayed the last season's drought conditions, they're starting with record trend line yields for most crops, which will increase ending stocks. Where are we at? We kind of think we're going to exit the market for things like corn and soybeans with greater cushion. For corn, even with lower acreage using a yield of 181 bushels, still nets a 360 million bushel increase in ending stocks to 2.532 billion. With higher soybean acreage and a 52 bushel yield, production could rise to record levels, leaving ending stocks at 435 million bushels, up 120 from this year. And while wheat acres are projected to fall, yield will be higher at 49.5 bushels, so production will rise, leaving carryout at 769 million bushels, up 111 million. This is a concern for market analysts. These carryover numbers are starting to snowball. Are the total supplies getting to the point that demand is not going to be able to chew through them and that we're going to need some kind of a supply issue, crop issue, in the years ahead to get our carryover numbers back down? So USDA is projecting lower prices for most grain and oil seeds, including a drop in corn prices of 40 cents, soybeans $1.45, and wheat down $1.20. Prices for commodities are moving lower. And they have been moving lower, and they've been moving consistently lower over, since the peak that they reached during the war. Meyer says their forecast is based purely on the economics now and may change as farmers go into the field. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack also speaking at this year's Ag Outlook Forum on Thursday after getting grilled earlier in the week at a House Ag Committee hearing, and things got tense on Thursday as well. Yesterday, I was in a congressional hearing where, where I was told that I didn't care about production agriculture, and now I'm being told that I care too much about it. Well, all right. All right. Okay, ma'am, I don't want you to, I want you to be able to sit here and listen to what I have to say, so I don't want you to have to necessarily be, be told that you have to leave. After the protester left, Vilsack spoke on the productivity of modern farming, saying it shouldn't be the only focus, pointing to some troubling numbers in the latest ag census just released this week. We've lost 536,543 farms. Over a half a million farms, gone. At the same time, we've lost 165 million acres of farmland, land that was once farmed that is no longer being farmed. Now, just to give you a sense of how many farmers and land that is, you could take every farmer today in South Dakota and North Dakota, add them to every farmer in Minnesota and Wisconsin, every farmer in Illinois and Iowa, every farmer in Nebraska and Oklahoma, every farmer in Missouri and Colorado, and you'd have 536,000 farms. The land, that's the land mass of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Maryland, and most, about 90% of Virginia. Vilsack saying we need production agriculture while still creating opportunities for small and mid-sized producers. The National Farm Machinery Show underway this week in Louisville, Kentucky. Several hundred thousand people making their way through the nation's largest indoor farm show. Now, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers hoping to see a rebound in sales following a slow start to the year. In its January flash report, sales of all tractors 
fell 21% compared to January of 2023. Now, most categories were lower except for four-wheel drive tractors, which came in even year over year. Combine sales were also down 5% lower. Two storm systems could bring a return of winter weather to parts of the country. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has an update. Now, two systems, both pretty weak. Uh, they're still looking at possibility of uh, some snowfall, about two to four inches of snow, possibly into a central southern Indiana and, of course, into Illinois as well. This is Friday at 10 a.m. Watch how quickly this moves out as we work into the evening hours with the best moisture and lift in the atmosphere right along the divide line back down here into southern Indiana, but also into Tennessee and Kentucky uh, with again with some of those higher rainfall or even snow totals by Saturday at 11 AM. Things really start to quiet down in and across the United States. Now this trough that's going to try to dig is going to ramp up more snow, possibly for the East Coast a Saturday uh, morning into Saturday afternoon. Uh, overall, we're hedging back towards a ridge of high pressure, quiet weather across the plains, but also into the four corners where we start to see that warm up take place. So again, this is Sunday at 6 a.m. These lines indicating just that. And Plant 24 is underway for another Texas farmer. Gus sending this one in from South Texas, planting some corn, saying, here we go. I'll have more in your forecast coming up. Corn drops to fresh contract lows, while for livestock, it was a mixed day. We'll talk about it all coming up next in Markets Now. And later, a robot is helping researchers develop the next generation of peanut varieties in the country. Corn futures on Thursday falling to a fresh contract low. Soybeans also facing resistance. Michelle Rook is back with more on the impact of the Outlook report in markets now. A tough down day in the grains on Thursday. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst with Bar Chart, is with us. And Darren, you know, now that we're past the USDA Outlook Forum, do you think we're going to continue to see pressure in these grains like we saw on Thursday? I think we can now. I mean, as we close out the week, it certainly wouldn't be too surprised to see a little bit of short covering come into the market. There's been a lot of pressure this week, but I think really what we're seeing with contracts going through support with, you know, with uh, some key round number prices being taken out at the bottom line is funds just have no fundamental fear of these markets right now, uh, particularly in the grain and oil seed sector. Uh, they, they can, they could sell. They don't have to worry about, you know, markets suddenly turning and going against them. So I think there's still some downside potential based on that alone. Yeah, what kind of downside potential do you think we're going to see? We're already at new lows for much of the grain complex. How much more downside risk is there? And what could we see that might bottom this market finally? Uh, a couple different questions. How much downside risk? It's really hard to say because, again, it, it depends on you know how long the funds want to stay in this. And that has to do with some outside markets. You know, This is a bearish seasonal time of year say February and March for U.S. stock indexes. And so if they do trend down, then that's going to keep funds comfortable with their net short futures positions in commodities, particularly those commodities that don't have uh, bullish fundamentals. On the other hand, we start to see a controversial, you know, extension of the uptrends, the long-term uptrends in the stock indexes. That could quickly pull some money out of some of these short positions, and they could start to cover here over the next, you know, four to five weeks. Aaron, is that the only thing that could bottom these green markets? Fundamentally, I don't see much changing. Uh, I know if we look out at that May July sp soybean spread, it's holding on to be in, in bullish territory of uh, calculated full commercial carry. And really, that's 
That's the lone bullish nugget out in the grain and oil seed sector. And so that we, we can certainly continue to watch because what that's telling us, the fact that it doesn't really want to break down, at least, you know, not through Thursday's close, it doesn't want to break down. Uh, it's basically telling us there's still some concern over longer term supply and demand here in the U.S. for soybeans. And that's really about it. All right. Thanks for joining us, Darren Newsome with Bar Chart. Love more Ag Day coming up. Across the United States, are looking at an update of the current snow depth. Now, I want to visit this because we'll see some of this start to grow back down into Illinois and also into Indiana uh, with this next system coming through. But this time next week, this will mostly shrink as a ridge of high pressure starts to build in uh, some of these smaller uh, snow totals, the current snow depth back here towards the white and also maybe even into the pink. Uh, with next week's warmth, a lot of this is going to go away. Now, I'll show you why. This is look at the jet stream. You, know, you got to again, ridge of high pressure trying to build back off here towards the west with a trough digging on the other side of it. Now, if that ridge wasn't there, we'd be talking about a lot more energy coming down to the south and picking up a lot more moisture. Now, Saturday and Sunday still going to be cold in and across the uh, United States, specifically into the northeast, but also into the Midwest. Warming already starting to happen back out to the west, and that's kind of a sign of what's to come. As we go into Sunday and Monday of next week, jet stream starts to flatten a little bit with ridging back out to the west, and that's again one of the reasons why we're expecting not only a warm up, but a long track warm up uh, days with above average high temperatures across the United States. Again, there's a jet stream coming up on Thursday, a weak trough tries to develop, but with the strength of the ridge there and here, not a lot of this is going to be able to sink down to the south and create a major snowstorm or a major system uh, for the United States. Uh, so there's going to be some rain chances around, uh, but again, nothing like what we saw with the nor'easter. Here's the temperature outlook. This gets us all the way to the 28th of February, the day before leap day, and you see above average temperatures in and across the United States, and that also includes well above average uh, into Nebraska. Jennings, Louisiana, they got some showers high around 63 degrees, low of 44. Idaho Falls, Idaho, got some morning snow high around 38 degrees, low of 16. South Carolina, Barnwell, cloudy, high 68. Precision agriculture, including sensors, targeted spray rigs, and automation driven by GPS and real-time data continues to expand its reach. But how many farmers are using precision ag technology right now? That's a question the Government Accountability Office recently looked into. Now, it issued a full report on adoption and usage. According to the latest data from 2023, only 27% of U.S. farms or ranches used precision ag practices to manage their crops or livestock. And it broke it out by state. As you might expect, Illinois and Iowa, along with Nebraska and the Dakotas, were the biggest users of the technology, including GPS, which has been available since the 1990s. The GAO also sharing recommendations for expanding adoption, doing a better job of quantifying benefits and costs, and increasing promotion or outreach to farmers. Speaking of technology, USDA releasing this look at what's driving ag productivity growth. It shows total output and productivity there in green and black continues to grow while inputs remain 
relatively constant, if not declining. USDA points to innovation in animal and crop genetics, chemicals, equipment, and farm organization as the reason that ag output nearly tripled between 1948 and 2021. And plenty of new products and smart technology rolling out this month. That includes the latest automation equipment from New Holland and Raven. The duo releasing a new system that synchronizes combine and grain cart movement during harvest. Now the goal is to streamline activity while combining and unloading on the go. New Holland says this is part of its continued commitment to autonomy and allows operators to sync up to six tractors with one combine. Now they say the technology saves time, reduces operator fatigue, and improves efficiency. Raven cart automation is set to be commercially available in mid-March. Technology is cropping up all over farm country. Up next, we're off to Georgia, where robots are helping plant breeders create the next generation of peanut variety in the country. yields to disease resistance, peanut breeders at the University of Georgia are working diligently to create high-performing varieties. John Holcomb of the Georgia Farm Monitor says part of that effort includes using a sophisticated robot named Watson. Our goal as plant breeders is to uh, combine different varieties together to make better varieties. Um, so we do that by uh, crossing high-yielding peanut varieties with those that may have better disease resistance, better shelling characteristics, better flavor qualities, uh, basically trying to um, combine a whole lot of traits into one single package uh, so that we can um, uh, send those out to growers and, and uh, they can grow those and, and sell it to the shellers and manufacturers. To no one's surprise, the process can be tricky as Brown says that they're working to satisfy a number of customers, everyone from the producer all the way down the line to the consumer. There's several different um, peanut products that people enjoy on a daily basis. Those include peanut butter, um, you know, candy bars and, and uh, other peanut-based candies, um, you know, roasted, um, shelled roasted peanut products as well as um, in-shell roasted peanut products. Um, and so each of those uh, different products requires a different um, combination of characteristics. And so um, it's important for us to, to develop those varieties for the grower. Um, but while, uh, you know, combining all these different traits for the sheller, manufacturer, and consumer, we also have to um, put these into a package that a grower is going to want to plant on his farm. According to Brown, the entire process to develop a new variety from start to finish can take longer than a decade, which is why he and his team are now incorporating technology to assist them, like this robot they've named Watson, that will help them gather important data they need much more efficiently. We make a cross between two different varieties that have a, a list of um, good characteristics and we evaluate thousands of progenies per cross um, year after year after year. It takes about 10 to 12 years to develop a new peanut variety. Um, and it's, it's a numbers game. The more progenies that we look at, uh, the more likely we are to find um, those varieties that have all the characteristics that we need in a single um, uh, package. Um, so one of the things that we're doing is uh, we're incorporating new technologies to help us process more progenies um, each year. Uh, we're using high throughput phenotyping. Um, we, uh, 
we're using high throughput phenotyping in the way of uh, drones and UAVs, aerial drones. Um, we're using uh, now a ground-based uh, phenotyping robot. Um, and then we're also using some high throughput seed sorters uh, that look at the oil characteristics non-destructively um, in a very high speed fashion. Um, all this to, to make our um, variety development pipeline uh, faster, better, and cheaper. Reporting in Tifton for the Farm Monitor, I'm John Holcomb. And our thanks to John Holcomb and the Georgia Farm Monitor for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Quentin Curtis. Have a great day.